1: The Institute of Art and Ideas, articles, videos and podcasts. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, the podcast that brings you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. Why do people trust some experts but not others? And how can we improve trust between the public and experts? On today's episode, we're exploring the philosophical relationship between trust and relativism. To help us, we're joined by one of the world's leading experts on moral and epistemological relativism, Professor of American Philosophy at University College Dublin, Maria Bagramian.
0: The issue of disagreement about science or disagreement among experts actually boils down to the question of trust in experts. Which of these disagreeing sides do you trust?
1: If you enjoyed today's episode, Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter, and head over to our website, iai.tv. Back now to Maria Bagramian. So Maria, is there a philosophical link between your work on relativism and your work on trust?
0: So... uh... Surprisingly enough, I suppose there is uh, my philosophical interests uh, and throughout my life and the long career have centered on uh, the question of disagreement and difference. If you wanted to find this sociological or personal reason for that, it goes back to my history as, as someone belonging to a multiplicity of cultures and languages, and uh, political systems. And I have always perceived these differences and disagreements uh, in the background of my life and have wanted to uh, find philosophical, as well as personal answers to the difficult questions that they raised. So let's take relativism first. Uh, One of the main motivations for relativism, going back to uh, Protagoras, was the fact that there are so many disagreements among people. People disagree, using the examples that Protagoras gave, People disagree about whether the wind is cold or hot. That's that's the simplest of disagreements. But people disagree about politics. They disagree about uh, uh, ethics. They disagree about what is there out there in the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And some of these disagreements are intractable. They cannot be resolved. Uh, how are we going to respond to these intractable disagreements? Well, relativism is one response. There, there are disagreements, we all know that, so you can either say that only one side is right, or you can say that both sides of the disagreements are right. Uh, one according to his or her cultural and sociological and uh, framework and background, and the next according to his or her own very different uh, cultural or social or cognitive framework. Uh, so that solves in some ways the problem of disagreement. Uh, now, how does that relate to trust? Okay, so when I was thinking about disagreement in this wider context, uh, with the start of uh, political upheavals in Western democracies, with Brexit and Trump, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, the question of disagreement among scientists, peer disagreement, something that, as a philosopher, I was familiar with, started to have a very direct influence on our lives and our own choices and on public discourse in general. So I started looking at that particular issue uh, through a research project called When Experts Disagree. The project was well multidisciplinary between a scientist and a philosopher, but had a uh, practical dimension. We just wanted to see how we can understand the phenomenon of disagreement among scientists. And then more or less all hell broke loose uh, and and we we, we had a series of backlashes against experts, uh, whether it was on climate science or against economists, etc. And uh, I began looking into the question in much more detail and in a more practical sense, in a sense that was relevant to empirical work being done in these areas. And at that stage, I realized that the issue of disagreement about science or disagreement among experts actually boils down to the question of trust in experts. Which of these disagreeing sides do you uh, trust. Hence, my work with relativism ended me in 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 work in uh, on, on trust.
1: So, why do people trust some experts but not others?
0: The project "When Experts Disagree" was fundamentally just about that—about instances of disagreement uh, between experts, experts with similar background and similar training and uh, similar understanding of issues. Uh, and yet coming up with very different uh, conclusions. They were particularly interested at that time in the question of climate science, but, but in fact, the series of studies that we did showed that, uh, or, or uh, supported the view that there is relatively little disagreement among climate scientists. Uh, our other case study was uh, disagreement among astrophysicists. They found out that there was far greater disagreement among astrophysicists than climate scientists, but Astrophysics does not have any political consequences, so no one pays much attention to their work. Uh, but then, gradually, as I said, this this, this uh, study culminated in the question of trust in science. And currently, uh, we are uh, I'm running a large uh, European Commission project called Peritia, or uh, policy expertise and trust in action, uh, about multidisciplinary project with 11 participating countries, where we are focusing on the markers for trusting uh, experts, uh, the public opinion on trusting experts, and also steps to take to establish trustworthy relationships between uh, the public policymakers and the experts. So so what we think now, what we are focusing now is not just a question of Trust, but but we have turned it into the question of trustworthiness. We should not blindly trust anyone. So that applies to all areas. We should only trust those who are trustworthy. So the question we are asking, what are the markers? What are the conditions? What are the criteria of trustworthiness? And not just how and when we trust. Others, including experts, so there are some standard, well-known criteria for trustworthiness, efficiency, reliability, honesty, etc., etc. Um, and those those criteria are established on basis of track record, background, education, uh, performance, uh, uh, and, and so on. But also, we think that looking at the uh, political scene today. Uh m- many experts and policymakers may have underestimated the role of, firstly, emotions or affects, and secondly, role of values in establishing trust and trustworthiness. Various studies, uh, including those done by one of my, my colleagues in the project, uh, Bobby Duffy at King's College, London, have shown that people actually perceived trustworthiness uh, in terms of not just these formal criteria of competence and uh, track record etc but also in terms of group values and group emotions trust involves a feeling a sense of vulnerability when you trust someone you're taking a risk you make yourself open to betrayal trust always is accompanied by the possibility of betrayal. And it's that possibility that should be taken account in the relationships between people who are to be trusted or wish to be trusted and people who do the trusting. And I think maybe somewhat controversially that this applies to experts just as much to our parents and friends and children, etc.
1: Why is that controversial?
0: Uh, well, some people think that uh, we don't really, we can't talk about trust in experts as uh, Sh- uh, Susan Howley, uh excellent philosopher working on trust in uh, Edinburgh, thinks that we should just rely on, talk about reliance on experts as groups rather than individuals. They think that that experts uh, or trust is a question of uh, 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 a relationship between individuals rather than groups. When it comes to experts, the way expertise works, at least in policy-making conditions, uh, uh, it's groups of experts that give policy advice. You see that in uh, the current circumstances of COVID-19. And the question is, can we really talk about trusting groups, or should we only talk about trusting the individuals within Groups also in various psychological and political studies of expertise, there has been very little attention to the question of affect or emotions and the question of values. Up to now, they have been doing. Uh, quite a wide-ranging survey of these views and we don't find much discussion of these affective and normative or evaluative uh, considerations in approaches to trust by political scientists and even at times psychologists. So it's controversial in that sense as well that not many people have done it.
1: So how do you think trust can be improved between the public and experts?
0: Okay. so so our project has three steps the first step and that's, that's the step we are currently engaged in is purely theoretical we are looking at philosophical sociological and psychological literature on trust in experts the second phase is empirical uh, we are in uh, and that's going to start quite soon we are going to do surveys in novel ways in ways that have not been done before, to, at least to some extent, and also uh, lab experiments using behavioral economics uh, approaches. And then, the, once we have the results of all of these, we'll enter the third phase. And my view, in a way, this is the most important phase, where we try to establish direct linkages between experts and the general public and policymakers through. So-called mini fora or citizens assemblies at small scale. Uh, The strategy here is to bring groups of ordinary lay people together with experts, place them in one to in direct contact with each other, and to start conversations between them, and to try and see if this helps in establishing trust between the experts and the non-experts. I think this is the way to go to strengthen democracy in all sorts of areas. It ha- the, the steps have been taken quite successfully in Ireland when it came to the very difficult abortion referendum and the uh, equal marriage referendum. Uh, and I think we can do the same for smaller but equally important questions of uh, the role of science in our public life.
1: So what do you think it is about a citizens' assembly that makes it sort of so effective as a way of sort of overcoming problems in our existing system?
0: So uh, democracy is supposed to take into account or be affected by the voice of the people. One of the issues that exists there, and I have to admit it, about uh, the role of experts in uh, policy decisions is that uh, Experts are not elected. Uh, They are not one of the people, by definition. They they know more about uh, a particular subject matter than the general uh, uh, population. And yet, they are to have a direct impact on our lives and on policy decisions that will affect our lives. So, a citizen assembly, in that particular instance, in the case of experts, and policy decisions would allow the voice of the people to be heard more directly. It will allow a dialogue between policymakers and the general public in a very, in a live and ongoing fashion. Citizens assemblies are supposed to be based on conversations uh, rather than a small group making decisions and then putting those decisions to vote. So it's a way of overcoming some of the deficits of a democratic system when that democratic system is being implemented in very large and technologically advanced societies in particular. It's a way of establishing a connection between people and the governance or the system of governance. In place. That's why it can be applied to all sorts of issues, all sorts of questions, from small to large, and uh, it has proven to be quite effective. Until such time that the more effective method is found
1: what do you think would happen if we remove the public from the decision making process
0: well no that 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 would be exactly the wrong way to go and that will give credence to the uh, objections of the populist uh, political leaders to relying on expertise uh, to to have a plutocracy or a system where experts are governing even some at- a few aspects of our lives, let alone all aspects, uh, would be a form of dictatorship, actually, even though it might be an enlightened form of dictatorship. But once you cut the voice of the general public, then you don't have a democracy uh, anymore. And there's no reason to think that they will make the best judgments. They may be uh, quite versed in their areas of expertise, but... uh, Even experts themselves would admit that it's give and take, opposition, disagreement, uh, putting your ideas to test. Uh, Those are the best ways of improving scientific expertise and also the best way of improving uh, governance in general.
1: So what hope is there for the public's relationship with experts then?
0: So, uh, interestingly, I think the horrendous events of the pandemic have improved so far the relationship between experts and the general public. Uh, Even Michael Gove, who famously questioned the role of experts and said, who needs experts, now relies on experts. Now, there are dangers to that. I think... Some governments—they uh, have seen examples of that in many different countries—do blame their errors on experts. Secondly, uh, experts uh, in this in this case, uh, in case of pandemics, medical experts, uh, virologists, etc., uh, like all scientists, are prone to errors. Uh, well, the advice they give cannot be 100% correct, and. Their errors will have, horrend, could have, uh, horrendous consequences. Uh, so they are placed in a particularly dif- particularly difficult uh, position right now because there is so much uncertainty around uh, this this new virus, uh, uh, and, and uh, any advice they might present is going to be inevitably provisional, but will have negative consequences once it's proven to be wrong. So, so we, are, we are witnessing a very interesting moment in the connect relationship between experts and the general public. On the one hand, the general public more than ever is showing trust in experts, and this has been backed by various surveys that have been taken around in European countries and in America on the question of COVID-19 and trust in experts. On the other hand, the position of the experts is incredibly precarious right now because they can be turned into scapegoats and also they are inevitably going to give some incorrect advice or some overcautious advice uh, and, and then going to be blamed for their errors and that can have long-term impact on the connection between experts and the lay people.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. Remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen. And tune in next week for more big ideas from the world's leading thinkers.